This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and today I am back with the former co-host of the NBA Deep Dives podcast who abandoned me for very good reasons, <laughs> namely having better things to do with his time. But he is back again today for this episode, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Oh, I'm fantastic. It, it, it feels good to be back. Um, better, I'm not sure is the right word, just so much more. So, um no I'm, I'm excited to uh to obviously reunite we obviously talk on the side plenty but uh to to get back in the the, the podcasting mode and, and talk some ball with you absolutely and we have a very interesting one today i really wanted to bring you on i mean i always want to bring you on when you're available but i especially wanted to bring you on for this episode because you wrote about a player who i have struggled to evaluate for literal years now <laughs> And he's made a pretty dramatic change to his game this season, which I think, as you pointed out in your article, makes him a lot more NBA viable. We're talking here about Trace Jackson Davis and specifically his passing. So before we sort of get into the nitty gritty, I just want to give you the floor here. What were your thoughts on Trace Jackson Davis's passing game when you broke it down for the article, especially in comparison to sort of what we'd seen from him before this season? Yeah, and l- last year it was a skill that kind of stood out to me as, oh, this is something that could maybe one day be a real thing because he was getting more comfortable with those post-up skip passes and, you know, delivering one-handed lasers with his left hand from the top of the key. And so that was a really interesting kind of development in his game from his sophomore to junior year that I wasn't really expecting. And then this year, it just took another leap to a really, really impressive level where he's probably one of the best passing big men in the country right now with his vision, with his accuracy, the pace that he puts on the ball, on the ball, um, how calmly he deals with double teams. It was, it went from an, an intriguing kind of side skill to like a, holy crap, this is something that could take his game really to the next level. So let's start at the top here where you point out that his most common possession in terms of scoring his own points is via the post-up. And it's interesting because, you know, as you point out in the article, he's a 6'9 center. You don't particularly think positive things when you think 6'9 pure post-up center in the NBA. But, you know, something that we have talked about quite a bit over the years that I think is more relevant now than it's ever been before is the post-up to the pass. You know, not looking to score, but, you know, looking to get your back to the basket so defense is key in on you just enough that you have open lanes to create things for your teammates. And, you know, that's sort of, I think the big thing for Trace Jackson Davis is, you know, again, he's not going to be posting up that much to, you know, try and put guys in the hole at the NBA level, because spoiler alert, there aren't going to be that many centers in the NBA that he'll be able to do that to, especially, you know, early on, but 
his ability to create looks for others out of the post has been a huge step forward in his game, as you point out in the article. And that, you know, makes him so much more NBA viable than I would have thought he would be, you know, at this time last season. Yeah, and it just provides smart creative offenses just a new spot on the floor to really initiate the offense from instead of doing the standard thing of bringing it up on the wing or right down the middle and initiating your offense from there you you know throw that early post entry and you start it from there so it's not entirely changing the offense but it's just providing a different look to defenses that they're not always used to it just provides a different dynamic and you know defenders inherently when the ball gets closer to the rim they suck in a little more and it frees up just that fraction more of space on the perimeter for good off ball movers good cutters good off ball shooters that you can run some really creative stuff and it you know you look back at the warriors over the last decade they've done this a bunch the miami heat um the obviously the nuggets with Jokic, the timberwolves with carl anthony towns they do this a lot where they throw it into the mid post or the elbow and initiate from there i'm not saying trace jackson davis is the same level of passer or anything as like Jokic or bam or draymond green or any of that stuff but from just an offensive perspective standpoint of how you can kind of use that skill from an undersized center that's kind of what i you know i I think there are some really smart creative coaches in the league who can really harness and elevate that to another level did you not say demonis Sabonis in that list just to piss me off (laughs) exactly why i'm just always trying to get under your skin yeah well you're doing a good job (laughs) um but no the i want to start with the first and the first couple clips in the article because something that you mentioned with the first clip is, you know, it's a relatively straightforward skip pass. And, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of centers have that or, you know, should, <laughs> as you say, at least should have that in their game. But, you know, that's, I think, the kind of difference between Chase, uh, Trace Jackson Davis earlier on in his Indiana career versus what we're seeing from him now. And, you know, this is a very high level example. You know, I'm going to bring another passing big man into the into the fold here, but, the first couple of years of Joel Embiid's career, he really couldn't hit anything out of the post other than like the most basic passes you can get. And, you know, if that's all you can do, that that's huge to at least be able to make those passes. But, you know, if you're going to have passing be a skill that you rely on as a big man, you need to be able to do more than just that. And, you know, the second clip is him, rather than making the simple skip passes, seeing a little bit more difficult of a dump off. And, you know, this is where you get into the, oh, post-ups aren't going to translate for this 6'9 dude, which, yeah, okay, fair. But, you know, the idea being there that he's not, uh, you know, again, he's not posting up to score, right? He's posting up to try and take advantage of the defense, assuming that he's going to be posting up to score. Yeah, and over the years, you and I have talked about the difference between good passers and good playmakers, where good passers make the extra pass, they keep the ball moving, they're accurate, they're timely, they know where the ball should go. Good playmakers are great improvisers. They're reading and anticipating the defense, they're passing teammates open, they're moving defenders. And we've seen Trace kind of evolve from being a good passer into a good playmaker. And those clips that you mentioned, when the double comes on a post-up, that opposite corner shooter is always going to be there you know 90 percent of the time they're going to be there and a lot of bigs will just naturally throw that skip pass and it becomes really easy to read and the the evolution that trace has made this year is that instead of just blindly making that pass he read both weak side defenders make that beeline towards the corner shooter because he had already made that pass a couple times and once he gets them moving just a step that's all he needs he just makes the dump off for the easy dunk and that ability to really process and read and react to what the defense is doing. That's what kind of separates 
all players from just being good ball movers and good passers to high level playmakers that can really elevate the overall functionality of an offense. Yeah. You mentioned the sort of, you know, reading the game stuff with him. And that I think is really the, really the biggest difference, honestly, is, you know, he's been a quick processor in terms of, you know, finding his own points, but, you know, this year he's taken a serious step forward in terms of, you know, okay, this, you know, if I drive the lane here, then, you know, the defense is going to collapse in on me. The easy pass is this way, but the defense is going to anticipate that pass. So, you know, if I see this, you know, I want to say, but I also don't want to say reading the secondary level of the defense for very specific reasons. But, you know, the idea being that, you know, if you're seeing the floor, not just for looking for your own points, like you had been in the past, but, you know, also looking for open teammates, he's got the passes in his toolkit to make those reads. And it's really just a matter of making those reads more frequently, which he certainly has this season. Yeah. And it's just a, a natural patience that he's developed when those doubles do come last year, it was oh, doubles coming. All right, two escape dribbles and just get rid of the ball and keep it moving. I don't want to get stuck and trapped in the spot. Uh, we see a lot of guys do that still in the NBA where they get the double comes and they panic and just get rid of the ball as quickly as possible to try and avoid a turnover. Now trace is just, showing that patience and yes he's using that same escape dribble but he's holding on to the the ball a little longer he's dragging the defense just an extra couple steps to free up that open lane for a cutter or make that weak side defender really choose between the cutter or the um, opposite corner shooter and then just counter whatever decision is made there so just it's a natural progression that we don't always see from guys but you can tell the trace has really put in the work on how to read the floor and it's really paying dividends yeah something we've talked about frequently over the years is you know getting the ball and making a good decision and making it quickly and you know that's sort of a huge thing with trace here i want to get to the next two clips in the article and something i think is really huge here that you know is tends to be underrated generally but we certainly have talked about time again here is he's also a really good screener and that i think opens up a whole lot of his passing game because you know in in the third clip that you have here, he fakes setting the screen and then, you know, runs away from the screen to try and find his teammate for the pass. And if you are a good screen setter, you have a lot more of those opportunities because defenses are, you know, expecting you to actually set a screen rather than just sort of, you know, lazily tapping the guy with your hip and then spraying to the basket because you were only setting it to try and get a roll to the rim. You know, because he has that sort of diversified screening element to his game, it really does force defenses to focus in on him more and that in turn opens up more passing angles for him. Yeah, and it's another one of those things that comes with experience and maturity, and that's why always going back to school isn't always a bad thing, because he's been able to rep out a lot of these stuff, the stuff, and really build chemistry and leadership and experience in those situations. Because he's not just going to set a screen and oh well, my direction was to go set a screen here, so that's what I have to do. Don't worry about reading how the defense is preemptively defending it. Don't you know worry about reading what pocket can I instead slip into. You know he he's no longer going through just the basic assignment that he was given on that play. Now he's improvising a little bit and he's really understanding how he can best position himself. A lot of the times that leads to him scoring on his own, but now with how well he's reading the floor and how accurate and creative his passing is, it's also creating a ton for everyone else on this team. And, you know, this also goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier with, you know, a 6'9 dude is not going to get that many post-up opportunities in the NBA. You know, as you mentioned, the fact that he's gone back to school has allowed him to explore the studio space in a way that, you know, 
maybe, you know, especially given what we've seen in the last few years of teams sending a lot of their top guys down to the G League to get seasoning, you know, maybe he gets that seasoning in the G League, but those possessions are not possessions that he would get at the NBA level. And therefore, he's not going to have those opportunities to explore what he can do when he's in those situations. Yeah. And I, I feel like at least behind the scenes, we talk all the time about, you know, the the cliche of, oh, if this guy's given time and given reps in the NBA, guys don't just get reps in the NBA. <laughs> These coaching staffs can be fired any day of the season and they desperately want to win games. They're not just going to hand out reps to guys who haven't earned it. They're not the vast majority of guys don't just get to learn by getting in-game live reps. More, more smart teams are starting to utilize the G League a little more effectively, but for most of these guys, their best option to do that is go back to school, and that's fine, and that's what Trace has done. And you know, we talked at the top about how we've been frustrated by him in the past, and I, you know, last couple of years, I feel like I've written him off because it's like, oh god, another undersized center who can't shoot. Awesome, you're going to be a great college player, and now. You know, if he would have gone to the or tried to go to the NBA last year or the year before, there would have been that intrigue, but he wouldn't have gotten these reps to really grow his game. And by doing so, he's shown a lot of different areas of his game and just a real elevation in his understanding of the game that he wouldn't have gotten if he would have just gone straight to the NBA earlier than this year. I think part of it also is something that we tend to talk about pretty frequently on here, which is the NBA is moving away from, you know, sort of one skill guys like your Troy Daniels is of the world and your Ryan Anderson's of the world who could basically only shoot. You know, those guys are tending to get played off the floor more and more often. You know, if we're talking about last year's Trace Jackson Davis going out, you know, the idea is, okay, I guess he can make the simple passes sometimes, but really this is a six, nine post-up center. What are we doing here? And, you know, instead he goes back to school. He, develops the passing to a point where, okay, this is a real tool. You know, this is real part of his skill set that, you know, makes it so much easier to see the NBA projection for him. It's like, okay, you know, this is someone who you can bring off the bench and have create looks out of the post for your offense. You know, you didn't mention him before just to piss me off, but like the idea of Trace Jackson Davis as a backup center for the Sacramento Kings makes so much more sense this year than it would have last year, given just how much of a leap he's taken as a playmaker. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you just factor in how much his footwork has improved too, and how that really diverse. Take a shot. Metcalf said footwork, take oh, a shot. It's been, <laughs> it's been too long. Uh, but, and how much that, di- that has diversified his scoring game. And that just forces those extra defensive rotations, which then, you know, increases the, uh, the amount of times the doubles are coming and their open teammates. And now he's able to counter all of that pretty regularly. So it's just, we always talk about, oh, God, like if this guy just had a shot, if the shot comes, he'll be so much more dynamic on offense. And, you know, obviously 95% of the time, that's always true. But what I think is so interesting about Trace this year is that he's showing a different avenue that you can open up for big men, even if the shot doesn't necessarily come. Would I like Trace to take more than 12 jump shots this year? Absolutely. (laughs) But he's been pretty adamant that that's not going to happen because he hasn't taken more than like 15 in the season, his entire college career. So does it come one day? Maybe, but at this point we, I think he's shown more than enough on offense that he has enough versatility on offense to be an NBA player. There was a very specific moment that it sort of clicked for me with Trace Jackson Davis, that this year's Trace Jackson Davis was different than previous years, Trace Jackson Davis. And I'm going to use that as a tease. We'll get right into that right after this. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the tease I put on before the break, hopefully some of that, hopefully some of you are encouraged by that to come back. But the big moment for me with Trace Jackson Davis was actually last week, right before you came out with this article, I did a deep dive on Jalen Hochefino film. And I came away from that dive feeling more impressed with his defense than I had been going in, but slightly less impressed by his offense. And the primary reason for that is watching the Jalen Hochefino tape and realizing just how many of his assists, just how many of his plays were made possible by him having the two-man game that he has with Trace Jackson Davis. That opens so much of the floor for him, and it was really an underrated part of why he's been able to have the success he's had on offense is, you know, TJD expanding his game to also be a playmaker. You know, having the two of them run the offense in tandem rather than Huchifino on his own has been a huge boost for Indiana. Yeah, and I, I feel like when you look at, like, synergy and look at Trace's play types, um, you know, they say he only he's the, the pick and roll role man only 9.6% of the time. But I think that's really misleading because that's the place he's finishing scoring. And so much of his scoring gravity just opens up those mid-range elbow pull-ups, like you were saying, for Jalen Huchifino and the other guards and wings on their team. So because, yes, he's 6'9", but he's explosive as hell. He is a legitimate rim runner, and he has awesome hands. So even when he is rolling hard to the rim, that drop defender has to stay real honest and can't really commit to the ball. Otherwise, you can throw a really mediocre lob, and odds are Trace is getting to it. If the the drop defender really commits to the ball, he has good enough hands and agility and footwork where he can pretty much catch anything out of the short roll and then adapt um, – to either make that pass out of it to a cutter or shooter or spin and finish or just elevate and dunk over the guy. His experience, his maturity in that aspect of the game, it's going to be something we see him run way more in the NBA just because the NBA is way more pick and roll heavy than college, obviously. And I don't, even though his volume in college is relatively low, I don't think it's really going to be that steep of a learning curve because of the amount of in-game reps and experience that he's had over the last four years. And, you know, you mentioned pick and roll being much more frequent in the NBA than at the college level, but, you know, maybe not as much of a difference, but I think, you know, also a key difference here is the handoff frequency. And, you know, that's, you know, being a DHO hub is going to be a huge part of Trace Jackson Davis potentially succeeding at the next level. And, you know, that kind of stuff, the handoffs, the pitchback kind of thing is where his two main game with Jalen Huchifino really comes into play. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like, Bam Adebayo is always the poster child of DHO keepers um, when Duncan Robinson was awesome um, before he <laughs> fell off a cliff. The the DHO game that him and Robinson or Bam and Robinson ran was insane and almost impossible to guard because no matter what you did as a defense, you're probably choosing wrong. If you both committed to Robinson, Bam's keeping and taking to the rim. Um, if you're sticking on bam robinson's knocking down a three and then they would have this awesome give and go interchange where even if you played it perfect they're just going to kind of rescreen and give and go you to death until they get the shot that they want and odds at that time was were that it was going in i'm not saying that 
Trace is the same level of player as Bam, but I think he has that same level of kind of awareness and versatility and ball handling and ability to kind of fake that keeper and, or, you know, make, make the pitch off and set a solid screen or fake the handoff and roll to the rim. I, I think there's so much versatility in his game already that it's only going to continue to grow and really become a weapon for him down the road. I don't think this was part of the original NBA Deep Dives fake drinking game, but it definitely should have been of me working in a reference to the Sacramento Kings when it kind of fits, but mostly doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, the idea here that I'm going to go with is the two-man handoff game between Demonis Sabonis and Kevin Herter is such a staple of the Kings offense. And, you know, that's why I mentioned earlier that I think seeing Trace Jackson Davis as a Kings backup center after this year is a lot easier than, you know, after last year is the idea of being that you have so many options when you do that handoff at the top of the key. You know, granted, the Kings have slightly more options because, I mean, Demonis Sabotis is a better passer, but, you know, also he has much more of a threat of a jump shot than TJD does, which, you know, that's a huge part of it. But the idea being that, you know, NBA offenses are so pick and roll heavy, but just a simple handoff game at the top of the key, if you've got the right players involved in that two-man game, can really open everything up, everything else up for the other three players on the floor. Yeah, because it, and it just really quickly imbalances the defense. And if one of those defenders makes a step out of line, smart players, players who have really high chemistry running that action over and over and over again, they can really quickly punish defenses. And someone of Trace's skill level, if that if his defender commits to the shooter running off of him and he, and he keeps it, it's not just one option that he's limited to now, where if he's roll, if he's now attacking downhill, sure, he can finish at the rim, but he's also really capable of making that kick out when the, de- when the defense does commit to him. So it just provides so much more complexity for defenses to have to deal with. I might be misquoting, so I apologize here, but I believe this was a Jamal Crawford quote of the the defense isn't going to know what I'm doing before I do it because I don't know what I'm doing before I do it. And that's a lot of this read and react stuff where it's like, you know, okay, if you know that you're going into this handoff play and there are three different ways that you're going to run it, the defense doesn't know which of those three, three ways you're going to run before you do it. So if you have two players... You know, this is pretty clear for TJD and JHS, you know, representing for the hyphenates in the league. But the idea here being that, you know, because they have those multiple different options that they can go to, you know, okay, the defense is, you know, playing Huchifina really tight on the perimeter. Great. I'm just going to, you know, slip and roll here. Easy basket, right? Or, you know, okay, the defense is really, you know, because we did that play last time, they're, you know, trying to shut off the paint for TJD. All right, you know quick handoff, get JHS downhill into a mid-range jumper if you can't get all the way to the rim, right? Like, given that those two players have played together enough that they sort of have that idea of, okay, you know, what can we do in terms of read and react here? That's really, really difficult to stop because, you know, the defense can try and key in on one of those ways. If you have two guys who are, you know, reading the floor at an incredibly high level like those two are, you know, it's pretty easy to just, you know, audible into whatever situation of that handoff play or pick and roll play works the best. Yeah. And it's just another one of those perks, like we've been talking about with him coming back to school over and over again and being that upperclassman because he has that experience and knows once he sees a defender leaning in one direction, he knows exactly how to counter it at this point. And the chemistry that him and Jalen Huchifino have on that suggests that they've been playing together a lot longer than they really have. And I think that just is going to make his translation to the NBA really even more seamless because odds are he's going to be a late first round pick at the earliest. 
And the teams in that range are playoff teams. They have experienced guards. And the fact that he's not going to be one of these one 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds or even 20-year-old big men coming in really raw and you know the game's still really fast to him, I think that's going to really be beneficial for him and whatever team takes him because I think it could be something where just a couple weeks into the season, we see it clicking really quickly for them because he's already much more advanced than most you know, rookie centers will be. Being a center in the NBA is really, really hard. That's why it takes a long time for most of them to get good. And, you know, so frequently we want to throw the bus tag on guys when they're 21 years old and go through, and there are a ton of articles and studies and whatnot out there, but most centers don't really start turning the corner until they're 22, 23, 24 years old. Trace is a little closer to that. So I think the fact that he'll be able to contribute a little more quickly and in these really dynamic ways to help diversify the offense out of the pick and roll, short roll, post post up creation, DHOs. I think that's going to make him really attractive to some NBA teams. So speaking of which, I want to hit the seventh clip that you put together in the article, which is the concept of TJD creating from the middle of the floor. And that's, I think, really the key, you know, when I'm bringing up the Demonis Sabonis sort of handoff thing is that idea that, you know, it's not just out of the post, right? Like if he were as creative as he was out of the post, that'd be great. That's really helpful. But, you know, it's him being able to create looks for others, you know, every, pretty much any area on the floor, but, you know, particularly that top of the key spot and down in the post, you know, those are the areas where he would be likely to be receiving the ball at the NBA level, right? So, you know, him being able to facilitate plays out of those looks is critical for him because, those are the kinds of looks he's going to get, you know, probably more often, honestly, than him creating out of post-ups. Yeah, and it, it it's just another example of how well he understands, you know, the floor spacing. I feel, you know, so many players are put into a specific role for most of their career, and they just get used to seeing the floor from that specific vantage point because that's where they typically are. And once you take them out of that spot, they're lost. They're confused. They don't know how to read and react to what the defense is doing because they're seeing things in a different light than they really ever have at a much higher volume. It's a really difficult transition. He's fine. He has really no issues doing it because he has been operating from all three levels of the floor for most of his career. And he has been empowered to kind of make these decisions and take some of these risks. They're not just, you know, easy passes that he's making to wide open shooters or wide open cutters. It's really timely. And he sees a defender leaning one way and he make he immediately makes that pass and it's right where it needs to be. So just the accuracy, the quick decision-making from all three levels of the floor, but especially the top of the arc, because we're seeing a lot more big men starting to create from that area. It's just a really, really important development in his you know career. And you mentioned the three levels thing. And then that I think that's particularly important because he doesn't have a jump shot in the way that he does, right? It's like, okay, you know, the idea of you need to be able to do something in that area, right? Like even if you're not a threat to shoot at all, you know, at least the fact that he's able to create from the top of the arc as a playmaker, you know, it doesn't negate the complete lack of a jump shot, but it does mitigate it a bit, right? It's like if he's there, you know, as you mentioned, it's an area of the floor he's used to creative from. He's not going to be lost if you stick him at the top of the key because he's, you know, run plays from the top of the key often enough that he can figure it out even if he doesn't have sort of, you know, the most obvious way to make defenses pay for leaving you space on the perimeter, you know, with a jump shot. He doesn't have that, but he does, I guess, sort of have the next best thing in terms of his playmaking. Yeah, and it... 
I, I think it's going to provide a really interesting kind of case study for how defenses could deal with him because with obviously the 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 urge given his lack of a jumper is to sag way off of him and kind of play more of that center field disruptor role, try and take away some passing lanes. But guys with really good vision, if you give them that space, they become so much more dangerous because you're not disrupting their field of view at all. So it'll be really interesting to see if defenses kind of take that approach or once he kind of starts carving them up, if they then press up on him out more on the perimeter, which then opens up even more lanes for cutters or even just the possibility for him to take defenders off the dribble. And, you know, this is where something else comes into play, which is his crazy athleticism. It's a lot more, you know, it's a lot easier for him to make defenses pay because he can get to the rim and elevate over people, right? So, you know, leaving him that kind of space on the perimeter is a little bit more dangerous than if you were leaving a more lumbering center out there. So, you know, his lack of size at the center is, you know, not exactly a positive for him, but in terms of his athletic gifts, you know, again, it's the kind of thing where similar to making plays from the top of the arc, sort of mitigating his lack of shooting, his incredible athleticism does a lot to sort of mitigate those size concerns. And, you know, Six nine is you know, not big for a center. I don't think I'm breaking any news there. But you know, we talk about jumbo playmakers, and we're talking about guys like you know Luca and Cade in the six 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 eight range, right? He's not a point guard. He's not going to be a point guard anytime soon. But in terms of just being able to see the floor, you know, that height is an advantage. Whereas you know, down low, it's you know a bit more of a disadvantage because he's going to be undersized down low. He's not going to be undersized at the top of the key. Exactly. And he, he has the explosiveness to obviously finish over guys when they rotate late or are on his hip. Um, and he has that first step where he can beat guys, especially bigger centers where I, it wouldn't, the, the, the urge for other teams is going to be, all right, well, we go big, put, put out our bigger center out there and he's not going to be able to deal with them. And odds are he will struggle with him, but Trace is going to return the favor on the other end because the guy's not going to be able to keep up with his footwork, his first step, his ability to really explode off the floor. I mean, just in isolation plays this year, he hasn't run a ton of them, but in the ones he's ran, he's scoring almost a a point per possession and is in the 75th percentile, which is just an obscene ranking in college. When you're in the 75th percentile in college, that's excellent. And I with NBA spacing, got cliche drink. Um, with <laughs> NBA spacing and having that athleticism, it could just open up a whole bunch of different things for him, or a bit different ways for him to score. And it's interesting because he actually grades out better on synergy in the half court than he does in transition, which is yeah. certainly not what you expect of someone of his profile. But I mean, he's still in the 77th percentile in transition, right? Not bad. And, you know, that's certainly when we're talking about, you know, him going up against bigger centers, he's going to be able to beat them up and down the floor as soon as the play, you know, gets out running. And you know, he's done really well in the half court. That's a huge advantage for him. But, you know, his athleticism advantage, I think, plays more in transition. And certainly given that he's run less than 10% of his plays in transition to Indiana, I am willing to bet that that will be much higher his first season in the NBA. Yeah, and I and I, I do think a lot of that caters more towards Indiana's offensive style. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he has a lot of really interesting kind of outlet passing ability that's just lingering, waiting to come out. I think that's going to be a really unique skill for him to use. Um but I mean, just with his athleticism, he's regularly beating opponents down the court. And if you throw him a lob or, you know, even just shovel, give him a shovel pass at the last second, he's going to be able to score it. Um, I, I definitely expect that transition volume and 
efficiency to improve at the next level. Yeah, I think the outlet passing is a great point. I mean, this is the dude who's grabbing, you know, 11 rebounds a game, eight defensive rebounds a game, you know, in theory, in a different offense, he's going to be encouraged to push the ball up the floor a lot more rather than just, okay, grab the defensive rebound, slowly walk it up the court, maybe, you know, hand it off to JHS as you're walking it up the court. But that's sort of what we're doing here. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that because obviously he's effective as hell in the half court. So there's I mean, a reason. For them. <laughs> exactly. So there's a reason why they do it. But again, they it's so much of his college game right now is so heavily weighted on the post-up and the half-court offense. And we're just saying that there's a lot of different, a lot of really creative ways that he could be implemented. And we've seen flashes of it this year, but just because he is this post-up heavy player in college doesn't mean that that's the only thing he's going to be able to do in the pros. So I do want to touch on the last clip you have here, because I think it's another sort of fascinating example of, Chase Jackson Davis sort of making up for his weaknesses, which is him basically using his passing to be a zone buster whenever teams break out the zone defenses. Because, you know, again, when you think of trying to beat his own defense, the first thing you think of is, okay, we're just going to outshoot them, right? You know, we'll, we'll, sh- we'll, you know, bomb from deep and figure it out from there. That is not the Trace Jackson Davis way, but, you know, instead his ability to, you know, find people in those sort of zone situations makes it less of a weakness for him than it would be if he didn't sort of have that playmaking ability. Yeah, and you know that when we were talking about creating out of all three levels earlier, that's a really big one because and growing up the the key to beat the zone was oh just get the ball in the middle of the floor, just get the ball in the middle of the floor. You're like, yeah, okay, that's a lot easier said than done. But with him, when you do it, good things tend to happen because he has that quick decision making. He knows exactly where the defense is and where his teammates are going to be in relation to that. I think the next step for him to really you know, really truly develop into that zone buster from the middle of the floor is he's got to grow the floater game. Um, That's not really there. Again, he refuses to take any shots outside of four feet, which is infuriating, but maybe one day. Um, But just from a passing standpoint, it's what, whatever, if there's any hesitation, if there's any, you know, misstep out of where the defender is going to be, he's going to make a really quick decision and he's going to see it immediately and be able to counter it. So it's just a really fun kind of skill and with how you know the defense of three seconds is different in the nba uh than college obviously there's a little more opportunity to get that middle defender to step up a little more aggressively to him which then opens up those baseline cuts which i i believe is what happened in that um that that clip that you were referencing yeah i mean we've talked you know multiple times today sort of about you know the read and react stuff with him but so much of that is just you know making a quick decision you know, he reads the floor well enough where you're pretty confident that he's going to make the right decision when he makes it. But, you know, maybe maybe that's part of why he just refuses to take jumpers because, you know, that's not part of the instant read and react, right? It's like, okay, I'm not, if I'm not considering that, then, you know, that's a simplified decision flow for me, right? So, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously he would be better with a jumper or I think really, as you mentioned, the key for him is just having some kind of shot that he can take outside of four feet rather than just, uh, oh, well, I'm at five feet away from the basket. I guess I'm moving the ball. Oops. <laughs> Yeah, I know it, it's really frustrating and it's tough to kind of gripe on it too much because he is so freaking effective scoring at the rim. I mean, he's in the 74th percentile with 1.27 points per possession and is in the 90th percentile in at rim shot frequency. So there's a reason why all the shots come at the rim um, because he's really good at it and he's really explosive and he has great touch. 
but he has yet to, despite all of his off season, you know, <laughs> interviews, uh, he has yet to show that he's not just, not only capable of making that shot outside of five feet, but of just taking it. And at this point, that's all I want to see him do. He's obviously he's not going to at this point of the season, but I just like, come on, Trace, just just take one today. Just just give me a jumper for film. Let me obsess over one clip. But he's not going to because he he's selfish and and wants to win games right now. So it's really unbelievable, really unbelievably selfish trying to actually win basketball games. <laughs> no, maybe maybe he's just he's just saving it, and you know we'll hear stories in three months of how he went, uh, you know, ninety six of hundred from three in workouts, and that's you know he's just he's been waiting for uh, for the NBA scouts to see it. I, it will not surprise me if he spends from the day their season is over to the NBA Combine just training for that three-point shooting drill they do at the uh, combine. And he, you know, makes 19 of 20 or whatever, something like Christian Coloco did. And it's like, this dude's not really a shooter, but he trained specifically for this drill for three months. So yeah, he's going to do okay. Yeah. That was, that was Willie Cauley Stein back in the day. That's, uh, (laughs) that's, that's a fun one to think back on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Uh, so before we wrap this up, I just wanted to sort of talk through some of the rest of his game. Yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we've harped on his size quite a bit, but this is something where, you know, it's a point I'm going back to again and again with him that, you know, he has a skill to sort of make up for his deficiencies. And the thing with him is, okay, he's six nine, but he is a wild shot blocker. And, you know, that's going to be, the foundation of his defense at the NBA level is okay. Maybe he's undersized, but you know, if he can be a weak side rim protector and turn back a bunch of shots around the basket, it's going to make up for, you know, guys having the height advantage on him. Yeah. And he has a block rate of 9.2, which is, Not bad. <laughs> it's, it's absurd for, especially for someone his size um, from that weeks as that weak side rim protector, he might be one of the best top five, top 10 in the country right now. Um, his ball location ability, his timing, his explosiveness, um, and his willingness to contest every single shot at the rim. He doesn't care if he gets dunked. Obviously, he cares a little bit because no one <laughs> wants to get dunked on. But he's not going to shy away from challenging with the, you know, given the risk of being dunked on. So from that standpoint, I love his defense because it's surprising every time he just how quickly he gets off the floor and just the ferocity in which he blocks shots with. It's a real deterrent at the rim and a real skill that should translate relatively seamlessly. Obviously I don't expect him to have a 9.2 block rate in the NBA, but I think it's going to be a real skill for him on defense. Yeah. If he had a 9.2% block rate in the NBA, (laughs) (laughs) man, no, but I mean, I think, you know, a huge part of this, as we talk about time and time again, so much of being a good defender is just putting in the effort, just trying on every play. And, you know, sometimes we say that about, you know, like, oh, this guy's a pretty decent defender, but he has god-awful athletic tools. He just tries hard enough to make up for it. Yeah, Trace Jackson Davis is in the other bucket of, like, he's got all the athletic tools you could ask for other than maybe three extra inches of height. But, you know, he's also, as you mentioned, you know, he's less afraid than many, let's say, to get dunked on repeatedly. And, you know, that leads to him actually challenging shots that, you know, some other guys would say, that's a business decision. I'm, I'm going to walk away from that one. Yeah, and I I, I re- really, really like his rim protection. Um, I think he's even pretty capable of defending kind of isolation stuff in space, where if he does get switched onto a wing, I don't panic about it. Mm-hmm. Um 
I do have concerns over how he defends the pick and roll and dribble handoffs and stuff like that, which is something you and I talk about all the time. It's infuriating. You're awesome at this on offense. Why can you not defend it at all? (laughs) You're doing the exact same thing. Just, you know, change your frame of mind. Um, He gets, he just kind of floats weird in space and gets his positioning off and wrong a lot. So I worry about that at the next level, but from just, you know, I don't expect him to be a full-time starting center for the bulk of his career. So as that backup big and with the offensive skill set and the rim protection capabilities at this point, I think that's enough to get a lot of minutes. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about this numerous times with many sort of offense first big men over the years, but like, you know, if you're scoring 140 and giving up 130, that's still a 10 point advantage, just the same as scoring 100 and giving up 90. Right. So, you know, a team is probably going to put him on expecting, okay, this is an offense first backup big man. And I think, you know, the key that you mentioned is I'm not uncomfortable with him on wings, but emphasis on wings, right? Like when you put him in, when you put him in the pick and roll, you know, quicker point guards can roast him and will certainly be roasting him more often at the NBA level than they are at the college level. Yeah. And he, he's just a little stiff with his kind of movements and his hips, um, which like you said, guards will exploit pretty quickly. So even when he does get exposed though, in those areas, it's not that he's like, Oh, well I got beat. Let's just go down and play offense. Now it's like he, he at least tries to recover and, whether he ends up contesting or not, um, he's at least putting himself in position to contest the offensive rebound or get the defensive rebound and kill, kill the possession off if the shot does miss. So that, yes, he can get burned quite a bit in DHO's pick and rolls, defending on the perimeter guards, um, but he's never just taking himself out of the play on defense, which then just inherently leads to him eventually making a positive play. Yeah, I think part of it, too, is, you know, the idea being that he, I think, is really well suited for small ball lineups in the sense that, you know, once you sort of negate the height advantage, you know, if he's playing against, you know, a smaller guy down in the post, then that's when, you know, he can take advantage of post-ups for more than just passing for others. And, you know, that's not a frequent play he's going to run at the NBA level, but, you know, if you stick a 60 point guard on him, he's going to put that guy in the hole. Yeah, and it, it, it's just, it it helps avoid those real aggressively skewed mismatches like you're saying i mean like the, the clippers run a ton of it um where they go real small especially with westbrook now and you know throwing someone like trace out there with his athleticism and his ability to kind of be that versatile hub it just makes it a little easier to adapt on the fly and so many nba teams will run some sort of four out offense and traces offensive skill set is particularly well suited to being the one in in that sort of four out one in lineup so if you're in a small ball situation where you know he's not having to guard someone much bigger than him then that allows his offensive advantages to play up even more than they would otherwise yeah and then he just like we talked about with the passing and mobility if you do bring him out to the perimeter he's fine because okay let's say his defender stays in the paint and just leaves him on the perimeter okay now you're running a 2v1 dho over and over again until your sharpshooting guard or wing gets the open shot that you want, or you get trace on a roll into the lane uncontested. And now he can either hit a floater, which he hopefully develops or find the teammate out of the kick there. So there's just so many cool and creative offensive sets and actions that teams will be able to run with him where it's like, God, this guy's just a fascinating prospect. 
And, you know, something that I talk about all the time is, you know, having sort of a diversified skill set allows you different ways to sort of earn your way into minutes, earn your way into the lineup. You know, with TJD, the shooting not being there is a knock. The, you know, being a little undersized is a bit of a knock. Being a little bit stiff in the hips is a bit of a knock. But, I mean, when you combine his shot blocking and his incredible passing with his athleticism, it's like, okay, you know, he could earn 10 minutes a game as a backup center on this team. Or, okay, you know, maybe he plays more of a four because he gets drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and therefore, you know, you have 74 big men, you're going to probably run him out, you know, at the four more often than the five, right? There are different ways that he can earn his way into a lineup and the passing really just brings the rest of his game together in a way that makes it a lot easier. Again, a lot easier for me to see him earning minutes in an NBA rotation than I would have seen last season. And, you know, he's, it's not like we haven't, we've been scouting him for a while, right? You know, it's not, it's not like this is the first season of Trace Jackson Davis in college basketball, but it's a big change. It's a big change from where he was last year. And it's a big change for his projection that he's become the kind of passer that he has. Yeah. And it, I think what you said about him fitting into a bunch of lineups, it's really important because the more malleable you are, the more landing spots you have and the more ways coaches can use you. That leads to minutes, that leads to opportunity. And I'm just thinking of landing spots. We mentioned the Kings as a backup center. Um, I, you know, I, think the Nuggets would love to have him over DeAndre Jordan right now. Um, Looking at last year's Minnesota team, you know, obviously Vanderbilt left. If you would have just replaced him with Trace Jackson Davis with Carl Anthony Towns at the five, I think that's a really interesting lineup there too. There are just so many different ways and different lineups that he can fit into because he can do so many different things. Yes, he can't shoot. That sucks. I would love him to shoot. He's not going to, at least anytime soon. But that doesn't really matter because – his scoring versatility in terms of how he can get to the rim, his intelligence, his playmaking, his rim protection. There are so many different aspects to his game that make him him an NBA player and allow him to fit into nearly any lineup in the league right now. All right. Anything else you want to cover here before we wrap this one up? I think that was it. Alrighty then. Well, you can find him on Twitter at tmetcalf11, Tyler Metcalf. You can also find his written work on noceilingsnba.com, totally free. Definitely check out the breakdown of Trace Jackson Davis's passing. And I am assuming that you will have something to plug for Friday. And I'm also assuming, knowing you, that you don't know what it is yet. So I'm just going to say open-ended plug for Friday. Uh, not this week. I, th- I think Stephen has this this Friday. I got the week off. So. Open ended plug for next Friday. My next apologies. Friday. <laughs> next Friday, Metcalf will be writing something just as fascinating as this piece on Trace It'll Jackson Davis. So be sure to check that out. And of course, Metcalf will be. I'm assuming I'm right on this one. Will be on the No Ceilings NBA podcast on Friday. So check that out later this week if you get a chance. You can find me on Twitter at nba johnson and. I will have an article going up the day after this podcast on CD Sissoko, who I've already written about this season, had a ton of fun watching, and am definitely looking forward to watching more of him for the breakdown for that piece. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback about the deep dives portion of the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.